Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to Genuine Humans podcast, and I'm here with Wendy Christie, our lovely co-host. Hello, Wendy. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I'm very excited because we're... Well, we're doing something a bit different today, actually, and I'm just going to introduce our guest... Emma Harris is here, who is the CEO and founder of Glow London and, of course, our board advisor at The Social Element. Emma has already been on the podcast telling her story, but we wanted to bring her back to tell a very different story. So welcome, Emma. Hello. It's so good to see you. And um, yeah, I think we're just going to sort of feel our way with this podcast a little bit, but I'm going to give some context because... Uh, A lot of people will be familiar with this and lots of people listening to the podcast, this will be new information, but something pretty major happened in May of this year to Emma and everything changed that day. Emma, do you, do you want to sort of start the story and give, give the context? Yes. So we, all of us and a few more of our colleagues at Social Element, we were in New York having brunch On a Friday morning, we were all due to fly home in the afternoon. Uh, And the short version is I stood up to go to the loo, um, said I felt dizzy, slid gracefully, according to Wendy, down the back of a chair um, and had a cardiac arrest. And just for context, I am not alone, I think, in thinking a cardiac arrest was an American version of a heart attack, which is something you only hear on sort of Grey's Anatomy. But actually, a cardiac arrest is different from a heart attack. A heart attack is where due to blockages, cholesterol and fat, your your heart muscles struggle to pump the, the, the blood around the body. But a cardiac arrest is where it, it, it literally stops. So it's caused by a thing called ventricular fibrillation, which is where one of the ventricles has electronic pulses, which beat so fast, which almost shake the ventricle so fast, it cannot pump blood. So it's not like you're struggling to breathe. It stops completely. And I was incredibly lucky to be in a a restaurant um, where there were three people who, well, you all stood up and said, is there a doctor here? And three people jumped to my attention, saved my life. And I'm I'm one of very few people that survived that. So, yes, uh, I'm lucky to be here. Yeah, because statistically, because I know that you've done a lot of sort of research and you've been trying to sort of find out what happened and get to the bottom of it. But statistically, it's it's ridiculous how few people survive, isn't it? Yeah, well, because your heart stops, like I said, it's not like, you know, you see in the movies, you grab your chest and you grab your arm. I mean, you guys will have a better memory of this than me because I don't remember any of it, but you completely stop breathing. So uh, the statistics are for what they call an OHCA, which is an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, only one in 10 people survive. And of those one in 10 people, 60% of them get brain damage from having a lack of oxygen to the brain. Mm. So I am one of four in a hundred that come out of it unscathed and unchanged. So I am just, you know, counting my blessings. But yeah, I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that story. Yeah. Are you okay if we sort of... Of course. I mean, that's the thing. You don't 
you just don't remember it, but Not obviously we do. Yeah. <laughs> um, Wendy, do you want to sort of share what you remember? Yeah, of course. I mean, I was, I had been sitting next to Emma for, for the brunch and we'd just been having a lovely chat as usual. And then um, you, I think you'd actually been to, to the bathroom and had come back and you were standing holding the back of your chair and you just looked slightly bewildered is, is, is the only word that I can think of. And I'd asked if you were okay and you said you felt dizzy. And then I'd said, why didn't you sit down? But you didn't. You, just, you were just sort of leaning on the back of the chair and then you said again that you felt dizzy and that was when you did the, it really was incredibly graceful, <laughs> sliding to the floor. And I think um, our, our friend and colleague, Lynn Frost and and uh, 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 the colleague Dan, we were both we were sort of all with you, and you sort of sort of fell kind of onto us, and I I froze, I and and I I just froze. I'd had first aid training, but kind of twenty five years ago or something like that, and I think one of the things that this has taught me is that you don't just have to have that training. You have to stay on top of it. You know, you, you have to keep doing it. And I always, you're probably sick to death of being compared to Danish footballers. But I always think of Christian Eriksen. I'm not, you wouldn't be surprised how unsick to death I am. Don't get that very often. No. And, and again, I think because he had that support close by and, and you know, there were, the, as you said, those doctors in the restaurant. I think that was the thing, wasn't it? Having access to that help immediately. And now here he is back on the world stage playing in the World Cup um, 18 months on. And I'm, I'm looking at you and I, I saw you in person and, you, and I was a blubbering mess for the first time that we saw each other after it happened um, last month. So for me, it's just it's just always such a joy to see Emma, you know, and you look like Emma and, and, and it's that's what that's what freaks me out. But, yeah, it was um, it was horrible. It, it was mm. just awful. And I know that what's really interesting is that there are all different memories that, that I have because um, I think you do sort of lose the order of things because I would, I would, I swear, huge amounts of money that you didn't go to the bathroom, Emma. <laughs> I would have to. And it's one of those things, it's like, I genuinely don't know who's right, who's wrong. And and that's just because everything slowed down. And, and you know, I can't remember if I said, is there a doctor in the house? But I sort of think I did. But also that might have been someone else. All I know is that there was this need to get the ambulance because weirdly enough, there's this strange thing where everyone's being very, very polite. Like, how, were you just unwell? And people were bringing glasses of water and almost sort of saying, should, should we get her some water? And it's like, no, 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 no. This is definitely serious. And it was that strange thing where you have to move from being polite and not making a scene to know there's something horribly, horribly wrong and we want people to take this seriously. And then there was quite a lot of just raised voices and 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 the ambulance did come incredibly quickly. But but as you say, Emma, you were so lucky that this one woman said to me, my friends are medics or would you like their help? And I do remember saying, yes, just go, go, go. And then this guy also uh, said that he could help so there were three of them, but they were just brunching there. They were on holiday. I think yeah. they were in, I, I, we actually did a bit of stalking Dallas. Dallas yeah. We tried to hunt them down to say thank you, but we couldn't find them. But uh, but in that time, it felt like it was hours. But the reality was it was maybe 
15 minutes. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but they they definitely saved your life. And, and the the ambulance, I think that was perhaps the, the hardest time. Were you in the ambulance with me? No. So you were put in the ambulance, but the ambulance didn't go straight away. And I think this is the one that kind of just always gets me. And I'm trying to sort of like manage my emotions at the moment, but seeing people come out of the ambulance and shaking their head mm. and knowing that you were out of our sight at that time and we didn't know if we'd lost you and they were sort of showing faces as if it's it's all over and that was the hardest time and then to the point where they sort of said right we're going to the hospital there was this sort of sense of like she, she's okay okay this is good and we were taking every single minute at a time and it was this bizarre like we were in a film and I think you know Lynn held herself together to be able to phone your your husband Danny and explain and that's a really hard task as well in the middle of a sort of very dramatic panic situation in the middle of a crisis to be able to just say Danny you you need to get on a plane but also kind of keep it together and I think again it's the funny things that you remember I just remember having to say to the rest of the team go home you you have to go and get your flights and of course they didn't want to leave they wanted to be there to to make sure that you were okay but I had to sort of I don't know I don't know why I just sort of thought but you have to get on the planes you have to get back to your families and Lynn and I were going to be staying an extra night anyway and it was COVID and only two people were allowed to go into the, the ambulance so so I just I pulled rank <laughs> yeah. So you, yeah and and you know it was the right it was the right thing to do and and I'm completely with you. That moment that I, where the the people were coming out of the ambulance shaking their heads. I mean, that was that just floored us all. I think. Um, but Emma and I were meant to be on the same flight um, with our friend Trina, and that was that was another really hard thing. Was your empty seat on the flight, and we didn't know. We had no idea how you were, and we were on a plane and 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 couldn't find anything out. So that was that was tough. But we were so grateful that Lynn and Tamara were able to stay with you. And I think we went into like just crisis mode on WhatsApp. Yeah. And, and and it's an interesting segue actually to to what happened. Again, it was just a few days sort of being in, in the hospital and, and waiting for you to sort of get better. And, and we broke into two teams. <laughs> so Lynn was kind of coordinating with Danny. I was communicating with your sister, Kate. And we took it in turn. Lynn was so good at, at helping you in the hospital. And I think I've got one of those faces where people think I know stuff. So all the doctors were giving me all of the information. Um, <laughs> and even that was actually quite hard because it was changing all the time. You know, they didn't know had you had a stroke, had you choked, how long. You know, we just had to keep giving them as much information as possible. But the truth was they didn't know everything at that time. And I think... Because I was trying so hard to, I think going back to like my sort of crisis management days for brands, you control the narrative. And I was trying to control your narrative. Maybe I'm just a massive control freak as well, but I didn't want this information to just leak out on social media because we didn't know what was happening. And then sort of two days in, you actually wrote a post on LinkedIn. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. You were left alone with your so phone. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna pass, gonna to pass it back to you. Tell, tell me, t- tell us all about that, uh, about going viral. 
Well, I mean, well, you know, what's interesting is when I tell this story, my memories are totally disassociated because obviously I don't remember any of it. So I we had a party the night before. I don't really, I remember bits of the party and our fairly humorous chat uh, journey home tomorrow, but um, when we were giggling in a taxi, I do remember that, but I, most of it I don't remember. So it's a disassociated version which i've just got a new bit of the story which is about the head shaking that's something mm-hmm. I, I didn't know but this bit i don't remember either but yes at some point i think it was the tuesday morning so this all happened on a friday and i'd been put into a different hospital i think on the saturday did i mm-hmm. get taken to yeah. the hospital and, and my husband had flown out my sister had flown out but unbeknownst to me there was a massive embargo on the news because obviously my kids didn't know and my clients didn't know, and no, you know, the, the wider team didn't know, unbeknownst to me, who got my left alone with my phone. And I am somebody who's a big believer in social media not being just for the positive stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'll share stuff about mental health, I've shared stuff about miscarriages. So I put a picture of myself, oxygen, you know, oxygen tubes up my nose, lying in a hospital bed in ICU, and just wrote this post saying, you know, I believe in sharing everything and I just, I'm a mum of four who's kind of running two companies and two charities and I'm on a rep at the school and I'm on the PTA and I've got, you know, I'm, I'm a mensch and I always say yes to everything and here I am. And at the time I think I thought I'd had a heart attack, which because I didn't realise the difference, but here I am. And I, I just think in a post-pandemic world where, you know, there's an expectation of people to, to be constantly on 24-7, and we're all and and here I am and don't do don't you know I should have paid attention. I was in Chicago the week before, and I left Chicago on the Thursday. And instead of flying straight to New York and having a couple of days in New York on my own, so I was ready for our week of work in New York. I flew home. You know, I arrived home at sort of lunchtime on Friday, and we flew back out at lunchtime on Sunday. So I wasn't even home really forty eight hours. And it's that kind of choice because you feel like you're trying to say yes to everyone. So this post was just saying, everyone listen and look at me. Don't end up like me. Pay attention. But make better choices. Say no. And I put this hashtag, slow the fuck down at the end of it. Um, And didn't even think about the fact that obviously everyone in the world would see it. And yeah, I slightly blew your embargoed process tomorrow. Well, but yes and no, because it was your story. And it, that, that's the thing. It was your story to tell, not other people's. And you told it. And OK, you don't quite remember it, <laughs> but it was an amazing post. And well, it's got millions of views, hasn't it? I mean, it's quite remarkable because it got nine million views. Oh, and, wow. and if you look at LinkedIn, I mean, Instagram, that's not that crazy. But, you know, even the biggest followers on LinkedIn, you know, I think Bill Gates and and Brene Brown and people like that have got the most followers. At most, they get a million views. So this thing just went completely viral. I mean, it, I had 90,000 reactions to it and 9,000 comments, which I still haven't read them all. But it seemed to massively resonate with people. Yeah. I had women saying, you know, I'm reading this and I'm crying because I've got kids and I'm working hard and I'm you know, I never say no and I, I don't want to end up like this and thank you for calling it out. And and one guy, I can't remember what agency he worked for, told this story of how he was on his way to a pitch and knew he was having a heart attack 
and carried on through the pitch. And as they left the pitch, said to the, the you know, the suit, the, the client services person, would you drop me at an A&E? I think I'm having a heart attack. I mean, what crazy. the hell? That's crazy, isn't it? So it, it just really resonated with people. It, 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 it was calling out something that isn't being called out enough that, you know, there's a lot of talk about well-being and, and, and psychological safety in the workplace, but people are not looking after themselves enough. So, yes, from that moment, apart from the fact that I blew your embargo, and obviously then there was a sort of panic to communicate to people that didn't know, and I, and all the mums at school had to be told not to tell the kids. You know, since I've sort of heard from other people that they saw it and then were, like, asking their kids, is Ava okay? Just sort of, you know, just the chaos it caused, but it obviously did some good because I know it also affected a lot of people. Tomorrow you told me about Can this yeah. year which I wasn't at but it was a, a much calmer can than it normally is definitely and I think that's the thing you were it, it did resonate people were really connecting with it and and I think it it's so important that you did that because it, and it is very it's very you Emma of you know you're going through your own thing but you were thinking about other people of like how can other people learn from what I'm going through and and you know you just sort of start a movement from your hospital yes. bed. <laughs> yes. It's not really slowing the fuck down, is it? <laughs> That's maybe not the best start. But have you been slowing the fuck down? What would you say has changed since it happened? I absolutely have. And I think the biggest thing for me is about those choices that I talked about that we could all make. I think that's, you know, just recognising how much we say yes to things we don't have to say yes to. And weirdly, it's something I'd written about previously in a blog, which is this sort of business FOMO, where we think we have to be at every event. We have to be at every meeting. And a lot of that pressure comes from our heads. It doesn't Mm. exist. It's our own what catastrophizing. If I don't go to that, then either, you know, I don't know. What what is it we think? It's it's sort of linked to imposter syndrome. Someone will say something bad about me and everyone will think I'm skiving or the biggest business deal in the world will happen and I won't have a part. I mean, it's madness. <laughs> so I've been listening to those voices and quieting them a lot more. So making better choices, saying no to a lot of stuff, choosing my kids, prioritizing my family. I'm drinking a lot less. I am going out a lot less. I'm exercising more. I've got a dog who is the love of my life. Sorry, Danny. And, um, <laughs> uh, and kids. Um, so I'm walking a lot more. Um, and just, yeah, you know, last week, perfect example tomorrow, we were together in the afternoon and I didn't feel well. And I had a dinner with yeah. someone I really wanted to see who I hadn't seen for ages. And I said, no, I'm not feeling well. I'm going home. You can hear I still got a little bit of a cold. So this weekend, I really took it easy. And it's just paying attention to my body and and practicing what I preach in the choices that I'm making. And, you know, one example, we had a client who wasn't very happy with some of the work that happened, unfortunately, while I was off sick. And normally I'd have been panicked. I'd have been, you know, straight on a train up to see them and take them out. And, you know, this is terrible. And, you know, I was like, well, you know, these things happen and actually some of our values aren't matching so maybe this isn't the right way to have a relationship and and sort of walked away which is really unlike me so it's about bringing those changes into practical reality 
and and yeah if slow the fuck down is my mantra making sure that I am actually doing that it's slightly ironic I'm I'm doing this podcast with a cold because it doesn't sound like <laughs> I'm looking after myself but I promise I am I've got a nutritionist and my you know my eating's incredible and and I'm doing a lot of exercise which is strength exercise to get my fitness really up there not running you know that week that I had it happened I'd been running I was doing a hit class that morning in my room apparently yeah so it's this is not the this is not the result of somebody who didn't look after themselves before. Uh, I just want to stress that it's not like I was just some, you know, crazy party girl that didn't exercise, but I was doing too much. I was drinking a lot of coffee as well, which apparently could have contributed towards it. Oh. So one coffee a day is a mantra of mine now, and and taking it easy on the espresso martinis, which I think I was drinking like they were gin and tonics, which is not a good idea. And the saying no to things, have you found that people in your circle have found it easier to say no to you as well, as in, you know, that they feel more confident slowing slowing the fuck down themselves? I think so, yeah. I mean, you could tell me whether you do or not. I think that people see that I'm trying to create a safe space for everyone. So the minute someone says, I'm not feeling great, I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, right, okay, stop. So I'd like to think so. I mean, another thing is, you know, I I have always been that kind of, come on, everyone, let's go out, let's do this, let's go, let's be out loud, you know, let's be out longer and and not being that person as well. I think I'm putting a lot less pressure on other people. You know, I've talked recently about how when I was a a young leader, you know, my, my days at Eurostar, when I say to people who went to, wanted to go to bed at three o'clock in the morning after an awards dinner, you know, go to bed now and you're fired. I mean, obviously, I didn't, they knew I didn't mean it, but it was like, <laughs> what was I thinking? I cringe when I think about those poor people that had kids. And for them, a night in a hotel was a good night's sleep. But for me, it was, you know, an opportunity to party till I drop. And yet I expected them all to be in the office at 8.30 the next morning or they'd get named and shamed. So, you know, that sort of culture is is not okay. Yeah. It's not okay. So, yeah, I hope I'm less of a party bully now as well. Party bully? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I think we need to reframe that as something else. Is it more an instigator, surely? But... Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I said that to one of my team who used to work being a and still works me now. And she said, oh, but Emma, we loved it. We loved it. And I said to her, you know what? We did and you did because you didn't have kids then. But imagine if you were in that culture now, you know, with two kids to get up to in the morning. So it was fun, but it wasn't very inclusive. I think that's the thing. And, you know, and also we were 30 then. You know, we're 50 now. And and there is a reason that we age. (laughs) (laughs) And we we can't keep living like that. So I think that's another thing is like just being aware that we're not kids anymore and that we have to take a little bit more care of these bodies if we want them to be around for a lot longer. Yeah, and and the moderation, I suppose that you know it doesn't mean we can't still have fun, but not not every single night. Yeah. <laughs> like, wasn't that bad? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying generally. <laughs> and, and I'm not, you know, I used to do that thing where I'd go out and drink to get drunk, and mm. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm not really into that anymore. But I think the problem is because because my my cardiac is what we call idiopathic. So there's nothing that they can say, you were doing this, you were doing that. So, you know, my cardiologist said to me, don't be a cardiac cripple, was his words, um, get back to your life. Because I was like, should I never drink? Should I never do coffee? Should you know, What is it I need to change? 
and he said, just get back to your life. It's idiopathic. We we can't put our finger on anything that's the reason why this happened. So my approach has been to moderate kind of everything, mm-hmm. you know, be sensible with my exercise, be sensible with my alcohol, be sensible with my coffee drinking, but, you know, and with work, but still be me. And let's go back to, I mean, I sort of said you started a movement from your hospital bed, but where do you want to take it? Because it just feels that there are so many people that I've spoken to who were so incredibly moved by by what they read. And, you know, you're you're very known in our industry. So the, the sort of the story got around in our industry, but it was wider than that. It was, you know, people from across the world, et cetera. But it, it feels like there should be more that you're doing but I, without without wanting you to push you to do too I'm much, but slowing the fuck down as well. <laughs> but, but where where do you take it now? Then? Well, it's all in progress. I mean, I I'm hoping to do a TED talk. Brilliant. So you know, I do feel like this message needs to get out there because it's not just me saying slow the fuck down. I've actually done quite a lot of thinking and writing about what that means from both an individual's point of view and from an organisational point of view. So I'm hoping to do a TED talk that will be more about the individual point of view. And it's about listening to those voices and paying more attention and knowing how to say no without saying no. A lot of us struggle to say no. I'm tomorrow. You're both actually not great. That's correct. (laughs) And so it's about finding ways to say you giving people the language that can say that sounds great. And which isn't a no, I'd love, you know, so someone asks for help, for example, I'd love to help you know, perhaps I could do it this way. So it's finding alternatives that don't feel like a brick wall. So it's the voices in your head, listening to them and learning how to quieten them. It's the, you know, it's the the, the learning how to say no and it's paying attention. So that's the sort of individual one. And then organisationally, it's talking about leadership and it's just got to start from the top mm-hmm. to, create, to create that safe space and to actually be sharing your own struggles, there's just not enough of that. And to talk about some of the the, the really functional sort of physical and mental uh, health support that people should be offering in their organisations. And then also about how you sort of start that conversation and create that dialogue. So the TED Talk's coming. I'm also doing a sort of series of, of slow the fuck down with the marketing academy amazing and i'm hoping to do that with some other organizations which i know won't name and shape on here in case it doesn't happen and some of my clients actually are bringing me in some of my existing clients to do so i'm kind of developing a bit of a program around it and then obviously just doing podcasts like this and just speaking about it as much as possible because there are some really simple things that we can do recognize when you're choosing and that you have a different choice mm-hmm. listening to those voices and and paying attention to your body and when it says stop just listen mm-hmm. do you fancy doing a book do you think that might be something in your future i have started the book wendy oh fantastic! Um, i mean i interestingly i had started it before this happened because i do think i seem to have this ability to change how people feel mostly about themselves yeah. and how they think quite quickly quite easily with all of the, I'm so blessed to have done so much work on myself and to have learned through my NLP and through all the magic people that I've spent time with in my life, like, you know, DDS Thompson Smith and Danny Dubard, all the amazing coaches that I've had. Uh, and obviously Planet K2, um, who are my sort of, you know, 
parent company who are sports psychologists who help people think, prepare and perform like elite athletes and take all that amazing understanding of performance. So I've got so much and that sort of personal experience piece. So I'd started writing the book and all this stuff is, it it links beautifully because it's about being the best version of you. That's always been my thing that I help people do. And I've always, I've had this thing where I do an hour speech and people email me five years later. It happened the other day. Someone name checked me on LinkedIn that three years ago they had a mentoring session with me. I don't even remember it. Where I, I remember the person, but they talked about wanting to do hypnobirthing and they've just qualified as a hypnobirther and that's wow. what they're doing. And mm-hmm. I'd done a vision session with them to to help them create it. And it, so my book is that. It's like, it's just this putting that magic in a book where people can read a fictional story of someone, but in that, in the reading of it, get a lot of tools and magic that can help them. So yeah, it's coming. That's going to be amazing. Any publishers are listening. And are <laughs> Contact me. And I think something, perhaps there was a sort of a side effect on company leaders realizing that you have to be ready for this as well, because Something that struck me going back to when it actually happened is that Lynn Frost, who's our wonderful MD of Europe and a very good friend of yours, knows you so well that she was able to answer all of the personal questions that the doctors had. You know, it was like being your proxy in America, which was incredible. But it also made me realize that, you know, if we're traveling as a group, if you travel with your team, we need to be prepared and, and know details and, and like kind of... what? Can I just ask, like what? <laughs> what does she know? She knew all of your sort of, uh, whether you had uh, allergies, your what medication you were taking. And, yeah. uh, you know, she was just simple things like your birth date, your family status, all of these things, you know. Yeah. It's, but you start thinking of like, would I know that about everyone that I fly with in the company? No. And, you know, how, how do you sort of make sure that you're prepared for this and and also we're looking to roll out training of how to save someone's life that you know that we can roll out to, to the whole agency and I, I think it it also started those conversations that yeah. you know it's it's about that preparedness I suppose yeah and and also insurance yeah I mean I don't know if you guys know the final bill but I had eight days in ICU I was taken two ambulances, one to the first hospital, one to the second hospital. And then we had, I think, eight days in an apartment. Well, because it's not like the NHS where they kick you out and then into a ward. You go from ICU out. So I was discharged, but couldn't leave till I got my fit to fly. And the total bill was $500,000. Oh, my good God. Oh, my God. So, you know, thank God I had fantastic business travel insurance and a team that sorted all of that out because that could really I mean I'm sure a lot of people aren't diligent enough to even know if they yeah. got because a lot of people I've got that with my bank account but I remember from when the last time I was in New York and I sliced my toe open do you remember that <laughs> yes. god I don't think I should go to New York anymore no I will now I love it it's my favorite place apart from London but um that I thought that would cover me but it's only personal travel so if you're traveling on business and you've only got personal travel insurance, that's not good enough. You've got to have, so if you're a consultant, for example, or a freelancer, you know, you might not be covered. So just make sure you are because that, I could have lost my house. 
Yeah. Yeah. And let me tell you, it wasn't the Wellington or, you know, it was, it was it, Tamara. I didn't even have an ensuite, and I know I sound like a princess, but, you know, I had a curtain in the corner covering the toilet. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of America. money. And a, and a huge shout out to your team who were just incredible. I mean, honestly, when when a crisis happens and people just kick in and start yeah. doing amazing things, they're just, yeah. Yeah, your, your glow team are just Sophie, Keith, Kerry, yeah, Planet K two guys, absolutely amazing. I'm very blessed. I'm very blessed, and that was one of the things when I came out of it all. That was I don't know if you remember me saying, "Why me? Mm-hmm. Why me?" That was a, that was a really tough thing to process. I never even processed yet, but there's so many people that don't make it. Mm-hmm. There's so many people, you know, four in a hundred. And I, at first I was like, God, I've got a bloody, you know, cure cancer or, you know, set up a, an orphanage or something. You know, it's like I need to, but actually I think it's one making, I've got four people, four little people that need me. Although Blue's six foot two, and not small, but, you know, four young people that need me, my family that need me. And I feel like this whole slow the fuck down thing is, is an important message. So in a way... I have to get out there and talk about this because I was saved uh, and I'm lucky enough to be saved. So I feel like I should use that opportunity. It's obviously resonated with people to get the message out there for everyone to look after yourselves a bit better. And if you could find those wonderful doctors in that Uh, very cool brunch place, actually. Honestly, we were so smug that we'd found this amazing restaurant, uh, which you won't remember. What would you say to them? I don't know, thank you doesn't even come close, does it? But yeah, obviously, thank you. And, and you know, you deserve every penny of that $500,000. I'm sure not much of it goes to them. But yeah, here's my here's my kids. I think that's what I do. Look at these four young people, because that was one of the hardest things I'm still dealing with, is how close they came. You know, no one loves them as much as me. I'm like, just that's the big fear. You don't, as a mum, you don't fear dying. You feel the fact that no one else is going to love your kids as much as you do. And that, you know, for your, as a five-year-old to have lost his mum, that would be his life. Mm-hmm. That's That would be his identity. I'm someone whose mum died when I was five. So thank you from on behalf of me and my beautiful children for keeping me here. Yeah, that would be. Might be thing. I mean, how lucky were we that we went to that restaurant? I wanted to go somewhere else. Yes, we should have been, if we'd stuck to the original plan, up on a rooftop uh, restaurant later in the morning. An hour later. So, so you would possibly have been in your hotel room on your own, or possibly we would have been on the rooftop and we wouldn't you wouldn't have been able to, to get to the ambulance um as 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 quickly as you did. So yeah. That's what I mean. I've got angels, right? Well, mm-hmm. that was Ashley. Ashley and her tattoo. Yes. Insisting that we went to this restaurant. And I usually put my foot down and say, I want my own way. But I, you know, Ashley's like, no, we're going here. I was like, okay, then. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Yeah. Um, yeah. The sliding doors of the story is so incredible. You know, whether I'd been to the loo or not, had I had it happened in the loo? How often do you go, well, they've been ages. Should we check on them? Mm-hmm. You know, it's so, such a tiny margin of survival. And that's what I mean. I'm so lucky. I've got to make it count, right? Without putting myself under any pressure no. and making sure in doing that, I continue to slow the fuck down.
So we're not going to ask any questions like, how would you fare in a zombie apocalypse or anything? It's not that kind of podcast. <laughs> this has been so special to, to to sort of to hear you talk about it and and for for me and Wendy to sort of you know share our perspective as well. But just because I want you to have the final say, what's your parting message? Well, I've got two really. One is to you both, and Lynn, and Dan, and uh, Trina. But just you know. I say all the time, thank God I was with people that love me because you acted so quickly and you have made me feel so held since then. So firstly, thank you to you all for saving my life. Um, And then secondly, just anyone listening who's thinking, yeah, I'm a bit burnt out and I recognise myself in, in hearing somebody who doesn't stop and since the pandemic, the pressure to be on back-to-back Zoom calls and how often is it we're out, it's three o'clock and I haven't had a wee or had a drink. Nothing is worth it. Nothing is more important than your health. Nothing. Mental and physical health. We all have to prioritise that over everything. So please, if you're listening and you're thinking, I need to change the way I'm behaving, then then get some help and just recognise the voices in your head are not you. You can quieten them and say no and go and get a smoothie and go for a walk (laughs) and get a dog because they're the best things ever. But yeah, and obviously my final words needs to be hashtag slow the fuck down. You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.